I'm, uh, I'm very excited to do this. Um, I, this is like the first time that I, I actually get to share uh, something that God's put on my heart for the main stage. It's like the big leagues right here. You know what I'm saying? This isn't just youth group. This is, this is the big league right here. So uh, if anybody's wondering where Pastor Tom's at, there's a, there's a church in Seattle that he's in, we're in covenant with. It's going through some stress right now. They're going through, through a hard time. And so um, that's where he's at. And I think, it's, I think it's pretty neat that we have a pastor that uh, even on a Father's Day weekend, if you call him and you're in need, that he'll, he'll drop everything he'll, he's doing and he'll head over to you. And he has your back. And I'm proud to call him my dad. That that's a, a true example of what uh, together we're better actually means here in this building. So, hey, just be praying for dad that tomorrow he's going to do what he does best and, and he's going to kill it for them. And, and just be praying for that church. And uh, I'm excited. Again, I, I'm very excited. My, my goal t- tonight is just to uh, encourage and inspire you. I know that Father's Day uh, maybe has some kind of mixed feelings for some people. Uh, maybe some people had a, like a broken or distressed relationship with their father. Some people uh, never had a father figure to begin with, and, and maybe your mom kind of had to step in and do that role. Or, or maybe this might be your first Father's Day uh, without your dad. And, and so I want to be sensitive to that, but I also believe that fathers, especially in today's day and age, need to be lifted up and need to be encouraged and need to be elevated. And so that's all I want to do is encourage and elevate. And I believe that everybody is going to get something uh, for tonight. It's not just going to be dad. So uh, hopefully, hopefully y'all are ready because I'm ready. I went over this like 10 times today, I promise. So, um, <laughs> Man, I remember the first night that, uh, that Paige told me that I was going to be a dad. It was, a, it was actually a Thursday morning at about 6, 6.30 in the morning, and I'm, I'm getting ready. I got I to be, be at the church because we're mowing lawns. Thursday is the best day. It's lawns, and it's me and Nick. That's what I'm talking about, baby. It's me and Nick and Stephen, and we do the church lawns. We go do pastor's lawns and people's lawns in the church, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm getting up. I'm getting ready, and... And she says, hey, wait, wait, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I said, I'm, I'm getting ready f- for work, babe, you know. And uh, she says, well, why, why are you going right now? And, and I had to explain to her that some people like to be on work on time. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so she sits me down and she says, I have something for you. I want to show you something. I said, all right. She, she whips out the pee stick, you know, and shows me. <laughs> It says, it says, I'm pregnant, you know, or pregnant or, or whatever it says, and, and I'm sitting there, um, and I'm smiling, and uh, I said, I don't believe you. Please take another one. And so <laughs> I made her get up, made her go to the bathroom. She took another one. Uh, she came in and showed me, and then it was, it was game time from then on. It was, it was amazing. She gave me my dream. I've always wanted to be a young dad ever since I realized I actually wanted to get married and have kids. I always wanted to do it young, and... And so she gave me that, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But, man, having a kid has, has taught me a lot of things uh, about myself and about life and about my wife and how to treat other people and how to love other people. But it's also given me a new perspective of the love of a father. And that's all I want to share this weekend is the love of our father and the love of a father. And, uh, man, ever since uh, we got pregnant, the, the day I found out Paige was going to be pregnant, we started um, believing and thanking God for certain things. We started praying over Annie's room, and we started praying over Paige's tummy, and we started believing God that Annie was going to be happy, healthy, blessed, and anointed. And, 
If you've been around Annie any more than 15 seconds, you'll know that she's very happy, she's very healthy, she's blessed, and she's anointed. And, and we started praying over the pregnancy that, you know, Paige wouldn't have any sickness and that uh, there'd be minimal pain. We know that great reward bring, is going to bring some sort of discomfort, but we just prayed and believed God that there's going to be no sickness and, and minimal pain and everything was going to go smooth. And I'll tell you, the only two times Paige puked was her own fault. Um, we went to the movies one night, and uh, she says, babe, can I get some popcorn? I said, of course, I'll get you anything in the world, you know, whatever you want. So I want a large popcorn. I said, that's big, but okay. $12.50 later, she's got her big popcorn, and we're watching the movie, and about halfway through, I, I go to put my hand in the bucket, and it's just the seeds at the bottom, you know? And I'm like, good God, woman, you just pounded that thing, and... So that night, about 2 or 3 in the morning, Paige is up for about 30, 45 minutes just puking up popcorn. Uh, the next time was about 8 months in, and uh, she, you know, one of those old wives' tales things like, hey, cinnamon, you know, and I guess speeds up labor or whatever. Um, and so she brought it upon herself to just can eat a whole bunch of cinnamon bears. And I said, babe, I don't think that's how it works. And she says, no, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, you know, and so uh, one day she pounds about a whole, literally a one-pound bag of cinnamon bears, and um, she goes to the bathroom. She said, babe, I'm going to take a shower. I said, all right, have fun with that. And uh, she's in there, and all I hear about 10 minutes later is, you know, babe. And so I go in there, and she says, I threw up. And I said, okay. So put the towel around her, and I, and I walk her to the toilet, sitting there rubbing her back and pull, keeping her hair up, you know, and I said, why why do you think you threw up? And she said, well, I, I, I drank some castor oil, and uh, I'm like, okay, uh, where did you throw up at? Throw up at? She said, in the shower. I said, okay. So from this point on, as soon as I stepped in the bathroom and she told me she threw up, I instantly, no, not a single oxygen is flowing through my nose, right? So I'm just talking out of my mouth. Well, I'm in there cleaning Paige's stuff off the bath, the, the shower floor, and I promise you, there are whole unchewed cinnamon bears <laughs> sitting in our drain. I mean, you could dry these off, repackage them, and resell them. And I'm thinking, babe, what? It, you just, it's like you just swallowed them. And, and I saw that, and in my dismay, I started breathing through my nose, and, but it was delightful. It was, a, it was a sweet cinnamon kind of, you know, smell in the, the musty shower. So even the pregnancy, the pregnancy was great. Every, we were believing God for, for uh, you know, awesome things, and we got them, and there's three specific things for Annie's birth that we were believing God for, and one was that, um, that Annie, or Paige's water would break naturally and that we wouldn't need any medication, no drugs, no epidurals, and that Annie would have the baby naturally, no C-sections or anything like that. And I remember the night that we get to the hospital, and for me, I'm playing like ACDC on the way there. I'm pumped. I'm jacked up. It's like game day for me, you know, and we get there, and, I'm, and we're both just super, super excited, and... Um, as soon as we get in there, they hook her up to all the machines and all this stuff, and, and they start um, pumping her with Pitocin, um, which is the drug that they use to induce labor. And so 
everything's smooth and we're going and we go to sleep, we wake up the next morning and the doctors come in and they say, hey, uh, this is just not moving as fast as we'd like it to, so we're going to go ahead and break your water. And so that was kind of defeating right there, but it's all right because we're still two for three. 666 batting average is pretty, pretty good. Um, so we're still two for three, but um, as, as time went on um, and the contractions just started getting worse and, and worse and worse, and uh, Paige, had, uh, um, I promise you, had made it to her breaking point, and um, the doctors came in. I said, ma'am, I don't think these bed railings are supposed to bend that way when she pushes on them, but the doctors came in, and I looked at Paige, and I, and I said, please, please get the epidural, and so she looked at the doctor, and she said, okay, um, I, I would like the epidural, and we didn't know that once you tell the doctor that, you have to wait an hour so that they can pump you full of fluid, so it was another hour of just uh, terrible, terrible... I mean, as a dad, when you're in there and you're, and you're watching this, um, I knew that if I said breathe one more time, uh, she was going to be having this baby alone. <laughs> and so, but you're in there and you, you know, you're, I mean, you feel so useless. Uh, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't say anything. Uh, and I knew that sh she was never going to tell the doctor she wanted an epidural. So I, I said, please, please get it. So she got it. An hour later, they come in and they give it uh, to her. Well, Annie was in there playing the guitar on Paige's sciatic nerve. And um, if you've ever had anything done with your sciatic nerve, it, it'll drop you. It's excruciating pain. And so Annie was in there, uh, you know, just having the time of her life and causing excruciating pains to shoot down the left side of Paige's body. So, so they'd have to roll her over and give her another epidural. And then a couple hours later, Annie would do it again, and they rolled her over and gave her another one. So three epidurals in. Um, her, her water was broke unnaturally. She's had three times the amount of drugs that we ever prayed would be possible. And um, it, was a, it was a super, super defeating process. Uh, we felt like, you know, you start thinking about things like maybe we didn't believe enough or maybe we didn't pray harder or uh, why would this not be part of God's plan when, when we've been, you know, in a, you know, we just felt like we've been doing everything right for so long. And it was about 20, 23 hours in. About 25 hours, the, the doctors come in and they say, we're still not quite there, so it's probably going to be a couple more hours, and uh, we say, okay, and, you know, we're kind of just sitting there going, you know, there's not much to do. Well, about 45 minutes later, the doctors rush in and they say, hey, we need to do an emergency C-section right now, and, um, you know, we're kind of freaking out, like, uh, why would you need to do that, and and uh, the doctors tell us that every time Paige has a contraction, Annie's heart rate drops from 150 down to uh, high 60s, low 70s. And they say if we wait anymore, there's a possibility that her heart would just stop. And so we sit there and ask for a minute to ourselves, and we're kind of talking. And, you know, Paige is broken at this point, and, it's, and it's, it is extremely defeating feeling that the three things you specifically ask God for um, in, in ABC... Uh, it's not going to happen. And so we tell the doctor, said, okay, we're ready. Um, let's do this. You know, let's go meet our girl. And the doctor says, hey, real quick, we need you to sign some stuff because we pumped her so full of Pitocin. Every hour that she was on it, they'd come in and, and up the dose. And so 27 hours later, she's been pumped so full of Pitocin, they said, uh, she has an extremely high chance of bleeding out. So we need you to sign this paper that you'll give her a blood transfusion and save her life if that happens. And uh, so I'm like... Man, this just, uh, in 26 hours, went from the happiest day of my life to the scariest day of my life. And they, they scrubbed me up, and, and I'm getting ready, and, 
I'm walking out and I'm sitting by the, the place where they, you know, take page back and, and I'm sitting there getting ready and, and the doctor, uh, we felt like we had made a connection with over the last nine months. She, she stops right before and, and she just says, I, I don't, I don't want to scare you or anything, but if it, if it comes down to the wire and we have to choose, which one do you want to save? Your mom or the baby? And, uh, you know, my mind went um, zero to 100 real quick, and I gave her my answer, and she says, okay, we'll be back in about five to ten minutes. If, 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 if not, just know something's went, something went wrong or, or we're trying to deal with something. And so I'm sitting there waiting, uh, which feels like an eternity of time, and um, the whole time, I'm, the, the thoughts that I'm thinking are, are not good thoughts. You know, I keep, I'm sitting there, and I keep telling myself, is this, this is really happening like, why me? You know, this is really, this is really happening. And um, I don't know why I cry when I tell the story, because, like, we have the kids, so I know the ending. You know, but, but I remember sitting there, and I'm, and I'm thinking, why me? Why is this, why is this happening? Like, um, didn't we believe enough, or did we do something wrong? And, and, I, and I sit there, and, I, and when I think about that, that visit, when I'm sitting there waiting, I now, I always think back, and I, and I think, I wonder if this is how my dad or my mom felt when I was out doing everything I was doing, when I was um, getting as high as I possibly could, and, and snorting mollies and cocaine and popping Xanax and Oxys and drinking the blackout, and, and, and I wonder if they ever f- sat here and just felt scared and fearful um, and not knowing what was going to be next, and wondering if I was going to come home that night, or wondering if I was going to be blacked out and try to drive again, or just fearful, and I know that the Bible says that God has every single day of our lives written in his book, so if he has every day of my life written in his book, and he knew everything that I was going to do, and all the shame I was going to bring my family, and all the embarrassment, and the humiliation, and all the people I would rip off, and all the hateful words that I would say to people, if he knew all of that, and he still loved me through it, and and I think about my dad, and all the things um, that all the mischief that you, some would say, that I'd caused my dad and, and, and how no matter what happened, my dad always loved me through it. And my dad exemplified what it really meant to be loved by a father. He showed me what the love of Jesus was really about. And I remember one time we were going to my dad's favorite place on the face of this planet. We were going to Costco. <laughs> and uh, my dad's rule always was, hey, we don't screw around in the parking lot. We don't run in the parking lot. We walk in the par- parking lot, right? Accidents happen in parking lots. So stay tight, stay close. We're on a mission. Let's get to the door, then do what you want. Well, me and Steven were screwing around in the parking lot one time at Costco, and this car comes up. And I don't know if you've ever been this driver. I know I have. But you kind of like speed up knowing you see them, but it's almost like a hey. I'm close, you should probably move, you know? And this dude uh, did that in his car to me and Steven, and I watched my dad walk faster than he's ever walked um, to this person's car door. He opens their car door. Uh, I thought right there, the dude's life was just, I thought it was over. But he said, if you ever get that close to my kids again with your car, I will kill you. And I'm like, holy crap, my dad's awesome. Like... (laughs) Hands down, that's the coolest dad I've ever seen. I remember another time when 
I was kicked out of my middle school right as my business was taking off, right as I was getting successful. Um, for, for those who don't know, I'm sure everybody does. I used to sell drugs in middle school, but I remember I was expelled, and, and they, the, they send me home, and my, you know, obviously my parents are just, you know, don't know how to feel. They're broken, heartbroken. I mean, they're angry. They're, I think any sort of feeling that you could put towards that situation, they were probably feeling it. Well, I get home, and cause my mom takes me home from school, and my dad sends me up to my room, and I'm, and I'm in my room, and, and uh, my mom comes in, and she says, uh, have you eaten? And I said, no, I have not. She says, you have, you have not eaten anything? And I said, no. And what time did they take you to the office? And I said, uh, uh, maybe 10, 10.30. And, and you have not eaten anything? I said, no, Mom, I've not eaten anything. And my mom goes downstairs, and I open my door, and I, and I kind of listen. And my mom is livid, I mean so angry, that this cool, the school kept me through lunchtime in the office and didn't feed me anything. And I, what I wanted to say was, Mom, it's not like I had a raging appetite on the inside of my tummy. I thought I was going to prison. You know what I mean? So I, it's not like I was super hungry or anything. And, but when I found out that she was mad that the school didn't feed me, I, I, I kind of sat there and thought, okay, my mom still loves me. Right? My mom still loves me. Um, and now I just got to work on dad. And so time goes on and I'm, I'm trying to work on dad. There's about two, two and a half weeks where um, dad said uh, absolutely nothing to me. Um, he's still very upset, very disappointed. And, but I remember we went to a, a hearing I had to go to for the Kennewick School District to see if they would allow me back at, at my school. It was myself and four or five others that got picked up in the Park Middle School drug bust and... Um, so I remember we're at the hearing, and ultimately they tell me, hey, we're not going to let you back in your school. And, uh, you know, we're leaving, and I'm, I'm upset because, you know, I can't see my friends anymore. I can't play baseball anymore. I know my parents are never letting me leave the house, so that was going to be my little bit of freedom, you know. And, and so I'm, I'm crying, and, and I remember my dad walks up behind me, and, and he puts his hand in the middle of my back as we're walking, and he says, stop crying. It's going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And, and I, and I knew then, my dad loves me. My dad still loves me. And I think it's amazing, to, through everything I'd ever done, man, the, the embarrassment that I caused my family. I remember people telling my dad that he shouldn't pastor churches because he can't even control his own family. And, and the shame that they had felt. And, and, and I, man, the, the way my mom would look at me, you would think that I would have never done a, a, a bad thing again in my life because it just... It, was so gut-wrenching to see the face on her face when she looked at me and through everything that I had, that I had ever done, that I had ever, the pain that all, like I, through all of it, they still loved me. And, and I think about how God loves us the same way. Man, that through everything we could ever do, through all the sin that we could ever commit, that God still loves us, that God knew every single day of our life before we even lived it. And even though he knew all the wrong we were going to do and he knew the sin that we were going to commit, that he still loves us. And it's one thing to have the last name on the back of your shirt to know that you're part of the family, that you get the rights because you have the last name. But it's another thing to understand the perspective that a, that a father has for the love of his child. And I promise you, it's something that we can't even comprehend or understand in our brains that God loves us 
so much. One of my favorite scriptures when I think about Jesus is in Luke 23, and he's on the cross with the two people, and and one of them looks at him, and and this dude has lived a a life full of sin, not a day in his life has he done something good for, for anybody, for humanity, for mankind, not a day in his life, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter the kingdom, and he looks at him, and he says, don't worry, I will. I'll see you in paradise. And if you get anything tonight, you just got to understand that there's something about the love of our Father that is absolutely amazing and incredible and something you can't understand. I have three points that I've, that I've kind of realized about the love of a Father and the love of our Father that I want to share with you tonight. And I believe that if we can get these points and understand them and comprehend them and apply them to our life, that it'll change everything. It'll change the way that we, we think about life or think about ourselves. It'll, it'll change the way that we interact with people, that, how we interact with our kids or, or at work. It, but it'll change everything. And I, and I just want to share those three points with you. And, and the first one is that God's love is greater than our doubt. I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like it's real easy for us to, to doubt a lot of things in our life. And maybe you doubt past decisions that you've made that or maybe you even doubt God and you kind of blame that in the sense of why you're at where you're at or why you don't have the things that you want or maybe that's why you're not further in your faith or that's why you're not grown in a certain area. But, but can I tell you that God's love is greater than our doubt? I, I used to doubt myself a lot, uh, especially in my own family, whether I was part of the right family or I used to doubt if God even loved me. I used to doubt if there was a reason that I should even be alive. But, but, the, but somebody needs to hear tonight that the Bible says, for he so loved the world. Man, our God loved us so much that he sent his son, that he sent his word, that he sent, he sent love on the cross to die for us, to die for me, to die for you, so that whosoever believes in him will live but not perish. And, and I think that that's amazing that, that you can't doubt God, you can't doubt yourself, you can't doubt the process, that you can't doubt God's plan for your life, you can't doubt your purpose, that we have to trust the process and we have to trust God. I, I don't think I'm the only one that struggles with doubt. I don't buy that. Man, it's, it's, it's one thing. It, it, we, we got like 85 people in here, so, and, and, I, and I feel like I know everybody. So it's one thing to come to a church every single weekend and act like we all got it together. But the reality is, is every single person knows that you don't. Like we're not fooling each other, right? We're family, right? Together we're better. Man, we got to start doubting. We got to stop doubting. God's love is greater than our doubt. My second point is the love of God destroys fear. Fear is something I've struggled with my entire life. It's something that's still relevant in, in my life today. And it's whether I'm sitting in a, in a hospital room waiting for my baby to, born, to be born and I don't know what's coming next. Or whether it's 2, 3 in the morning and I'm laying in bed and I, and I can't fall asleep. These negative thoughts creep into my head. And it's almost like they start to win sometimes and I, and I have to snap myself out of it. But I, something that I constantly need to remind myself is that, is that fear is not from God. Fear is from the enemy. And even that within itself is kind of frightening because you think that what the enemy is maybe trying to do in my life or trying to do in the lives of other people, it, it seems like it's almost working. I, I feel like all he's got to do now is tell you that you're anxious or fearful or depressed. You can go into any doctor's office in the United States of America and get prescribed something that your body will become dependent upon. Your body becomes so dependent to it that when you want to stop, it makes you sick. 
Man, one in five people in the United States of America are hooked on antidepressants, are hooked on anti-anxiety medication. Suicide rate in the last 20 years has gone up 25%. Fear is not from God. Anxiety is not from God. Depression is not from God. It's from the enemy. And we got to believe that. we got to understand that. You almost have to snap yourself out of it. Hey, that this isn't from God. The Bible says fear not. Don't be afraid. 365 times in, the, in your Bible. One for every day of the week. Fear not. 365 times. God wants us living in freedom. Not in fear. In 1 John it says that in love there is no room for fear. In love there is no room for fear. That a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is a life not yet fully formed in love. I believe that if you can fully embrace the love of God that it will actually cause you to elevate your mindset. It will cause you to elevate the way you think about things. It will cause you to live in a life full of freedom propelled into freedom, fueled by the love of God. Man, God's love destroys fear. And my third point is this. God's love covers our shame. Man, shame is... Man, you think about the woman at the well. Five failed marriages... She goes to draw water in the middle of the day because she doesn't want to hear the dirty comments or see the snarky remarks or see people looking at her funny. Or The king who had power abused his power and slept with another man's wife and gets her pregnant. And in not wanting to expose what he did, he hides behind a cover-up that turns murderous. Or you think about the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, unclean, uncomfortable, uncomforted. Instead of asking the healer to perform a miracle on her in public, she hides in anonymity and settles to touch his robe. And I don't know if you struggle with shame like I've struggled with shame, but the thing that all three of those have to deal with is each one of them shameful within themselves. But as the story goes on, each one has an experience with the power of God that breaks shame in their life. And if I could just bring you a good message tonight, that the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that you need in your life. Man, you don't got to run with your shame anymore. You don't got to hide your sins anymore. You don't have to be buried by your doubt anymore or be held captive by your fear anymore. Because we serve a God that breaks the chains. Man, we serve a God that breaks the chains of shame. We serve a God that sends fear running. We serve a God that destroys doubt. I mean, God's love is greater than doubt, fear, shame. And it's the love of a father. The reality is, it's, it's not the love of just my father, it's the love of your father. And that's how God feels about every single person in this room. Man, and even on Father's Day weekend, I think it's okay for us to maybe admit that 
We don't got it all together. Your kids see through it. Our youth students see through it. G-Kids kids see through it. That there's something about the love of God, man. If we can experience the love of God, it changes everything. And I'm not, and not just knowing that God loves you, but experiencing the love of God. And we're going to pray a prayer tonight, and I believe that there's people in this room that need to experience the legitimate, real love of God. And there's people in, the, in this room that uh, we ask if you need to pray this prayer and, and, and you think maybe I do, but I, I'm just not going to do it this time because I don't want people to, I know people look around when we do this, so I, I, don't, I don't really feel like raising my hand or, man, we're going to pray this prayer tonight and I just be, I beg you, if you need to get your life right with God, please do that because there's a love that will cover everything that you could ever go through. Man, there's a love that fixes everything in your life. If we just bow our heads and close our eyes, God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, there's people in this room that need to experience your love. And God, I'm going to ask people if there's anybody in the room tonight that needs to experience your love that anybody in the room tonight that gets that needs to get the, their life right with you and God I just ask you that you encourage them to raise their hand father you just encourage them you give them the strength if there's anybody in this room tonight needs to get their life right with God I just ask that right now you would just raise your hand thank you thank you God, you are so amazing. You just repeat this after me. God, I love you. And I thank you. I ask you right now to come into my heart and change me. Change the way that I think. Change the way that I feel. God, I want to live for you. I make you the Lord of my life. God, I thank you for dying on that cross. And three days later, you rose again. From this day forward, I'm going to live for you. And I thank you for giving me the chance. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, can we just give God a big hand?